Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 211 for Monday, September 18th, 2022. Wait, it's September 19th. My calendar is wrong. Uh, my name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, and if you would like to hear us speak to our guest, Heather Christie, Dr. Heather Christie, excuse me, about The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and how archaeology might be worked into that show, then you should listen to The Render Distance. That's the extended version of the podcast. You can get that by going to patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and supporting the show. And we thank you very much for your support. It allows us to keep on doing this awesome podcast. And today, as I mentioned, we are joined by Dr. Heather Christie, an archaeologist based out of the University of Glasgow. Heather moonlights as Archaeoplays on YouTube, uh, a channel which explores Minecraft and other games through the eyes of an archaeologist. Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat about archaeology and Minecraft. Yeah, we uh, we already had a chance, as we were briefly saying at the beginning of our pre-show. Uh, we we spoke a bit about archaeology and Minecraft and uh, my recent Empires series, trying to approach that from a an archaeology perspective, but also all of your work in reconstructing um, recreations of archaeological sites in Minecraft. And you've also got a series kind of comparing Minecraft's technology and mechanics to real world equivalents and stuff like that. I think it, it's such an interesting perspective. So we wanted to have you on the show just to maybe pick your brain about what Minecraft could do better in terms of promoting archaeology, especially given their recent emphasis on conservation and the natural world. And uh, it's, it's going to be a really fun discussion. So traditionally, uh, when we start the show, we do a, a brief talk about what's new in our Minecraft lives. And when we have guests on, we like to let the guests go first. So Heather, what's, uh, what's new with you? Uh, well, I've got two main things that I've been doing for the last month or so. Um, one is that in addition to the series where I look at my Minecraft mechanics and how they relate to what we know archaeologically in reality, and the series where I build archaeological sites, I also have a series called Bite Size Archaeology, where I basically explain archaeological concepts through Minecraft so that anybody who is, say, a student who's studying archaeology and is learning about eco-facts and has no idea what in the world the textbook means, um, because definitions are, are always interesting, I've, I've got videos that talk about that. So this week I was looking at crop marks and parch marks, which is particularly well-timed because we just had a very dry summer across Europe and there are parch marks everywhere showing you where archaeology was in the past. Um, so, so I've just released that video. And then the other thing that I've been working on over the last month is um, launching and playing on what I'm calling Archeo SMP, which is a server that I'm running with a bunch of archaeologists and heritage enthusiasts. And for my own part in it, I'm trying to track when I reuse materials and how many of those that I use so that eventually we can see if there are planks from my starter house in say the like fifth iteration of my storage system or something um, and that kind of came out the the server came out of that talk that that we did um in the end of july to to talk about Minecraft and archaeology and some of the patterns that we see. And a lot of the archaeologists there really wanted to launch into Minecraft. So we've we've started doing that. And uh, and yeah, the, the idea of tracking things through time um, is connecting to some of those themes as well. So so yeah, that's that's more or less what I've been up to in Minecraft. <laughs> it's it's such an interesting thing. We we 
didn't really get around to talking about this too much in our talk which we had like way more notes for than i think we ever actually <laughs> got to because you know conversations are free-flowing and we like to talk about so many different aspects of this but you introduced the concept to me of when archaeologists look at materials they're often looking at how those materials have originated but then also how they are reused by subsequent uh you know civilizations or subsequent users of whatever material and you were kind of putting forward the idea of like how do we track that kind of stuff in minecraft and my first thought was well i don't know if i've taken down a structure and then kept in mind that these materials belonged to that structure specifically when i've reused them because so frequently you put them in a chest they become virtually anonymous stacked up with all of the other materials that you've collected and so yeah. in a in a sort of reverse ship of theseus kind of way like it's not <laughs> like you're replacing the materials of something over time until you're like is this still the same house it's more if i take the materials out of the, this house are they still the same house materials when i use them to build something different and that's just not a concept we really need to worry about in minecraft unless you're like renaming items and keeping yes. them in specific chests so how are you keeping track of that when you're so... using that on your server so I am, yeah, I am renaming things. Um, basically, when I take the structure down, I rename everything as whatever the name of that structure is. And then based on, you know, I, I just keep those those materials in my inventory while I'm building the next thing. And based on how many I had when I started building the thing and how many I have when I'm done building the thing, that's roughly how many ended up in that structure. Um, and the reason you kind of have to do it that way, as I'm sure you'll both know, is that if you rename a block and then you place it down, it loses its name when you mm -hmm. mine it again. So you can't, so there's a certain amount of admin that's involved in this, but it's not terribly, I mean, I, I am an academic, so, so it is kind of a <laughs> You've thing that- You've got a higher tolerance for that than I think most are, of us do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, but yeah, and actually the last week I- upgraded my starter house into a bit of a more permanent um, structure and the we already ended up having a discussion about what happens with those materials because I took some of the planks from the starter house and turned them into trap doors that are now on the the second iteration of that structure and so we we did end up having a little bit of a you know are these still the same materials even though i've turned them into a trap door instead of the planks of the wall that they were in and that led to a whole discussion of archaeological theories around the life cycle of objects and object biographies so basically the concept that um say like a, a brooch that your grandmother had on her wedding day you know that was a very important brooch to her but then if she passes that on to her grandchildren or future generations it becomes a fairly family heirloom so it's now actually a, a different object to what it was in terms of its meaning to what your grandmother was using it for, if that makes sense. Mm. So there's there's all sorts of theories about about all of that in archaeology, and I was rather surprised to for us to go into and end this sort of ship of Theseus debate of you know if you switch out the materials of an axe. I'm going with an axe because it's easier than a ship. But, you know, if you switch out the head of the axe and the handle of the axe, is it still an axe? And, uh, yeah, we ended up on a, on an hour-long discussion of, oh <laughs> of all of that on stream um, just because just cause people were interested in it and because I was taking my time building my house. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's hard to, hard to have high-level theory discussions while 
building a house in Minecraft. Oh yeah, sometimes. like I, I can barely concentrate on what I'm building and talking about the fact that I'm building it <laughs> compared to yeah. like try, trying to have my brain in two places at once. But no, that <laughs> it sounds great. I think it's really interesting that you're getting your peers and other people who are enthusiastic about the same fields of study that you are involved in those discussions because it's a side of Minecraft that we rarely get to see. And yeah, you have... Uh, my eternal respect for being able to catalog all of the materials that you're using because I can't keep track of what I've got in my storage system at the best of times. <laughs> if you were to add something in-game, Heather, that would help you with that, like what would be one thing that you would want to have available to you in Minecraft to aid with that kind of um, tracking? Oh, that is a really good question. I am torn between simply allowing things to maintain their name tags after after you like mine them again um and having like a book like a book in quill that is a little bit larger format so that you could actually you know write things down in the book in a way that's a little bit easier to find stuff i think with the book and quills you you can fit like a couple of sentences on each page um, but if you could fit a little bit more on each page that would be really cool and i think could help with this what i'm hearing is we need either label makers or we need something like a movable type printing press where we can <laughs> we can fit more more text onto a smaller page i've been thinking yeah. about this this week as well because my printer has been giving me grief when i needed to print oh, some no. important documents since <laughs> oh, i was no. complaining on twitter about the state of <laughs> modern printers i was like the the gutenberg printing yeah. press was invented in 1436 and yet <laughs> my printer some, still doesn't yes yeah, so, somehow my printer still sucks but um yeah, yeah I, I think that'd be an, a really interesting technological leap in minecraft to be able to have finer print in, uh, in in some of those written books for sure my brain just goes to the simpsons with bart simpson and the label maker and i just can only imagine the minecraft griefing that would happen if you had like a little plastic label maker oh my sure. gosh <laughs> see that's the thing too is that like when it when it comes to archaeology we we catalog and number and label everything because you have to otherwise you lose track of what's where um but the the general gist is that there's an understanding on the site that nobody's going to sabotage that Whereas in Minecraft, people can sabotage you as much as they want, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that becomes a bit of an issue. Um, I think I don't think anybody on my server is going to do that. I, at least I hope not. And yeah, if they you, do, if, as far I've as you know, <laughs> yeah. At the very least, I've got it all on video, so um, so I can I can redo things. But uh, but yeah, the the ability to oh. Because then that leads into a whole discussions, like something that could, like if that mechanic existed and, for example, were used was used on Empire's SMP to a degree, then the sabotage of records would lead to additional avenues of conflict or, or potential difficulties between empires that I think would get really interesting. Um, you know, in a sense that's, you know, it's not like physical destruction of an object, but physical sabotaging or destruction of records and therefore potentially knowledge um would be an interesting would be an interesting thread to to go down <laughs> for sure and then you get problems of revisionist history and yes you know history being written by the victors and all that kind of stuff like whoever keeps the records is going to be uh exactly the, the one who decides what happens ultimately in the story yeah there's the, <laughs> there's some interesting ways that can go but honestly i'm quite thankful that the worst i have to put up with is occasionally people coming around and uh <laughs> like try, trying to steal bits of my gold statues or something yeah yeah 
be funny if someone commemorates you know like you see that that in let's place people will say like oh this is my first diamond pickaxe and they'll put that on the wall as like this is the first you know diamond pick we made in the series and it's almost dead but we've saved it and you could just come along and rename it to like my second diamond pickaxe like just to, <laughs> just to mess yeah. with people yeah. and then you know 100 episodes later they're like wait a minute was that the first one or the second one like completely forget what they what they yeah. did yeah what's new on the citadel joel how's uh the the mansion going the mansion is going slowly. Uh, I spent the weekend working inside the mansion and uh, building a bunch of stuff that would be fun for archaeologists to dig up later on. Uh, I did like the upper floors and trying to add things like pots and books and quills and and trying to create some um, realistic looking bedroom type places. I've not, I didn't really think the entire design of the building through in terms of like where there would be doors and rooms and what would be the best sort of situation for those things. But um, I locked out and the loft kind of space where I think would be the main bedroom of whoever owns this place happens to also have one wall that is the chimney of the main hall downstairs. Mm. So I thought, oh, what a perfect opportunity to put a second fireplace. And it all in my head still makes sense because it goes to the same chimney yeah. that everything else comes out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I ended up putting in a balcony because I just the whole thing just felt claustrophobic and I wanted to put in a window but the windows didn't look right and so there is a balcony now on the south side of the building and uh it it helps with the thing not feeling like a hallway it feels more like a room than a hallway but because of the way that light works in Minecraft of course the doors kind of let visual light through they don't let like skylight through but they let like that visual light through so it's not as dim and as cozy as it was when I first designed it um but uh trying to add some color i've been using some uh cyan beds and using the warped signs as like a footboard and trying to get a little bit more into the kind of stuff i know you used to be into a lot johnny which is like the micro builds with like fancy beds and like yeah, yeah. beds and i mean again limited space because of the scale that i tend to work at in in west hill but uh, i think it came together pretty well uh, i had a lot more fun in the main room which also took a lot of time, but it was all trial and error because I don't do this stuff in creative first. And so I removed the stone floor, which we had just put in to hold, you know, as a placeholder and put in dark oak flooring. And I knew that I wanted to try a carpet and the main hall is long enough that I can have something like a five by nine or five by 11, like really long rug in it. And I used glazed terracotta uh, and the brown glazed terracotta has a little bit of turquoise in it, a little bit of cyan. And I was going back and forth with things like warped wart, concrete powder, cyan concrete powder, um, stripped warped hyphae, the stem. Uh, All of that ends up being too light. And the planks actually ended up looking great. Despite the fact that the dark oak planks are right next to them, they don't read as cyan wood. They read as like part of the carpet because they were dark enough that they worked well with the brown terracotta. And then I used um, a more recent addition to Minecraft, the raw gold block. Uh, in combination with the yellow glazed terracotta uh, that has the same sort of like brown and yellow hues in it as like a strip down the middle of the carpet. So I wanted the carpet to kind of have like a long vertical design to it with a border uh, to kind of go with the length of the room. Uh, added some chandeliers. That was that was where I was really feeling frustrated. Like I, they're fence posts with candles on them and they do pass the chandeliers in a screenshot. But when you're standing underneath them, you go, yeah, that's fence posts with candles on them. Mm-hmm. And only because of the scale. I've done larger chandeliers where you can have something like a grindstone as part of the construction and it starts to look a little bit more like something else. 
but I've noticed in doing all these things that the the small things that I have access to in Minecraft are not um, not kind of something that helps with my vision. I always have to make some sort of sacrifice. And that was the discussion on the stream was like, there's a lot of good enough in this sort of situation when you're trying to decorate something. It's like, ah, like, well, there's nothing else in the game. So like we have to use the dark oak fence posts because that's the only thing that the candles look good on top of. Um, things like iron bars were too skinny and too shiny and other fence posts were just like too bright or whatever. So it was really a narrow choice. Uh, and then the rest of it was just kind of going around the the hall, uh, putting like bookshelves into nooks, adding candles to kind of like spread out the light a little bit because there is a torch, I think, off off screen in some of these screenshots. But uh, most of the, the light in the room comes from the fireplace, of course, because there's two campfires in the fireplace. Mm. And uh, that light falls off as you get into the nooks and crannies of the main hall. So I was not only for just a, a visual break, but also for some lighting. I was adding in the odd candle or two, which again, I cannot say enough how much I like the lighting changes in, in Minecraft, where now just a candle or two in the corner will spread enough light to completely remove any worry of spawners, you know, like uh, mob spawning uh, in the darker places in your, in your, um, in your builds. And it's, it's still dark. Like you can have two candles and it doesn't really light things up visually all that much, but it's like light level three. So you've got a good area there. That's that's spawn proof now and having them in by bookshelves or on a random table, uh, all, all work really well. And, and of course, you know, I tables and chairs, the data pack is something we've been using a lot in this series of builds. And I think it, it helps a lot. Um, there is a fancier chair design that I've been using in this particular build only because this is a, a mansion in this medieval fantasy town and having slightly fancier woodwork, I thought made a lot more sense. So that's kind of where I am with it. But just just the bedroom and the main hall took my entire weekend <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to trial and error and trying well, to get it, stuff together. The effort's all there on, on the screenshots. Like, I, I love the carpet design. Yeah. I think it's... it's oh, a di it's a difficult mentality to get out of where you have items that are physically called carpet in the game and trying to convince yourself that you don't need to just use wool carpet as a carpet in a in a build like this, especially if they're, you know, clearly a wealthier family and can afford like a nicely woven rug that's patterned and has a variety of textures going on there. You can represent that with other things. And while glazed terracotta doesn't necessarily feel like on paper, it's the best material for the job. I think in the room itself, it adds a nice layer of detail. And honestly, any way you can work glazed terracotta into something and it actually looks good is a triumph in my book. So well done on the carpet. I really like that. Thanks, man. Yeah, I got the idea actually from something that I did previously, which was having glazed terracotta in the wall in the modern city cafe. Mm -hmm. It looks like that abstract art that you see hanging at Starbucks, you know, like just the yeah. kind of random, you know, um, like pop art stuff you see around. And uh, I, I, this, the challenge here was because I wanted this to look, uh, I don't want to say ornate, but like you said, like I wanted it to have a lot more design aesthetics than it needed to be functional you know like any kind of carpet you saw in some of my other builds in west hill would be to wipe your feet on like it would have a function of like don't bring your muddy boots into the into the place where you sleep and with this build like i'm trying to think more of like well yes a table could go here it doesn't need to go here but it's a decorative table like i'm trying to change that mindset of like well you know, a bedroom having a drawing, you know, like a writing desk in it or a chair and an ottoman by the fire, which, you know, other 
poorer people in the town have one chair <laughs> or two chairs by the fire, but they don't have anything to put their feet up on. So stuff like that was was challenging to come up with. And I mean, and you ha have to kind of stretch your Minecraft imagination. I think the ottoman is a, a dark prismarine slab um, mm -hmm. only because it was the right color. It doesn't have any legs or anything like that. So I, I haven't gone to the extent with the tables and chairs to make other things. I kind of try to keep it as vanilla as I can, but I just, I, I do find that having the tables and the chairs in the build really help communicate the scale i think because otherwise you know if you put like a a meter wide stair block there then it starts to mess with well if that's a chair how big is the fireplace whereas i want the fireplace to look large you know yeah it, there's there's a certain amount of suspending your disbelief you have to do with you know the usual chairs where it's like a stair block with signs on either side and you kind of mm -hmm. think you know, people people sit on this like that it, it it shows much clearer signs of habitation i think if you've got a ton of realistic looking chairs in a build like this so what have you been up to in minecraft my friend well i have made a mathematical triumph this week which is rare for me so uh please clap i've um <laughs> i've decided that one of the roads that i was building in my empire needed to curve around on itself to provide more of a a structured road to the area and i think i talked about this last week but make sure that all of the roads around my base weren't just like 45 degree staircases like i wanted it to feel like you know carts and whatnot had been able to travel into the city and drop off goods and that kind of thing and so i i free-handed this curved road and I really wasn't happy with the freehanded element of it. It was kind of built around the way the landscape was structured, but it really didn't look like it had been designed by a civic architect. You know, it really felt like it was just kind of thrown together. And then when I tried to add decorative touches to it, it just got worse and worse looking. So I ended up scrapping that entirely and realizing that I wanted to plot a proper curve for it. So I went to plots.co.uk, which is my usual, you know, really handy tool for plotting circles and actual geometrical shapes and i plotted the first corner of it basically the first you know 90 degrees of this curve and then i thought well it needs to tighten a little bit as it travels and then i remembered uh diagrams i've seen of the fibonacci spiral you know the golden ratio mm -hmm. of curves spiraling in on themselves and i thought what if i use the golden ratio to plot the second half of this curve and so it feels like it tightens as it goes around and becomes a bit more of a spiral so that's what i did and i ended up with a curve that i'm not only really happy with because it looks like it was built by an architect or at least it looks like it was planned in a way that geometrically makes sense decoratively it came together very well but the golden ratio idea really stuck with me i've been working on the symbolism of gold in this empire i have a statue that's got one gold wing and bits of that are decaying over time but I wanted this empire to feel like at one point this represented the golden age of civilization in this area, the kind of peak of civilization, and then has fallen into ruin since then. And so the fact that I could use the golden ratio as well and something else kind of, you know, in an abstract sense became golden about this space made a whole lot of sense to me. And I just kind of did a little dance in my chair and then immediately started to do some very complex maths uh, for, for my standards, at least. I'm sure they're pretty simple to other folks. But yeah, thanks to a little bit of online calculation, some very, very handy tools for that. I was able to plot out this curve in a way that made sense for the golden ratio. And I'm planning on trying that out in a variety of other places, thinking about the avenue of buildings that leads from the gateway on the bridge that I've shown in previous episodes um, to the 
area where this curved road takes place, there's a, a bunch of hillsides on either side that I'm now carving out buildings from and trying to adjust them to be different heights and maybe there are going to be statues on top of some of them or maybe it's just going to be a, a series of civic buildings, maybe places that people would drop off some stuff if they were just visiting briefly, guard houses, that kind of stuff. But I maybe want to try and adjust the heights of those so that they conform a bit to that golden ratio as well. I'm just trying to think of more ways that I can work it into the identity of this place now. But I I really like the fact that I, I stumbled upon this and it, it gave me so much inspiration for what else I could do that I'm almost happy I made the mistake of building this road poorly in the first place so that I could come back and revise that idea and have something that works even better for the identity of my empire. It looks fantastic. Like I, I see what yeah. you mean about the. It looks like an architect built it or designed it. You know, like it has that kind of, um, really well thought out sort of. Uh, it has a purpose. It's not just following the landscape. It's it's doing its own thing, and and I think complementing the landscape from from what I can tell from the topography from the screenshot. But yeah, um, like that, it's that the, was how I originally built it was trying to carve out a place that felt like it naturally sat within the landscape yeah. to begin with mm -hmm. and so i i used roughly those dimensions to figure out okay what's the actual curve going to look like when i decided to remodel it so i actually had a question on the weekend about how i plan my roads in west hill uh and in doing so i was talking about how i use the the top-down map mod that i have to like do kind of essentially pixel art, you know, like you're kind of looking and and using pixel art to kind of create curves, air quotes in Minecraft and the golden ratio, like th that, that spiral and the math that I would do in order to like gradually increase or gradually decrease the, you know, sets of ones, twos, threes, or fours, uh, as you're trying to create, you know, uh, an increased curve or, or a smooth curve. Um, I think that while I'm not doing anything specific as using the golden ratio, I think those applications would make sense. It would make sense to use math in Minecraft to create curves because you're dealing with pixels, because you're dealing with mm -hmm. essentially blocks. And because of those ratios between one to two, two to three, one to three, uh, I think you end up with uh, a much more, I don't know the word, believable is not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, it feels right when you go through and do the math, whereas when you t tend to shoot from the hip, it's like, it's most of the way there, but something is just not sitting right with me. And then it's not until you go back and you do like the mathematical approach, they're like, oh yeah, that feels better. And yeah. it's, I think it's because the the blocks in Minecraft are just so finite. You're dealing with this hard edged, you know, rule of thumb. And if you, if you fight against it, it just doesn't, it never works out for you. Yeah, like w whenever I, look at some of the diagrams on plots for larger circles especially the amount that it plots a diagonal and i think well surely that's just going to look like a straight edge on something but then when you start the curve on the opposite side it really starts to show oh yeah no this is actually the dimensions of this but just the pixels are in the most approximate places they can be it's yeah. it's really eye-opening and i really don't trust myself to plot a circle any wider than about 12 blocks freehand now like i <laughs> I, I absolutely yeah. have to start referring to proper you know mathematical resources to make sure i'm doing this in a legit way but 
It's going to take a little longer if I want to do more of this stuff around the outside, but at least I have some more practice now. And this thing is large enough that it effectively forms a wall between what's inside and what's outside. So on the outside edge, I've started to plot out, well, maybe this is where farmland goes and they can do a bit more of the agricultural stuff outside of what now feels like part of a city wall, but is really just a road dividing one area from the other. It can help the stuff on the inside feel more insular while the stuff on the outside can be a little bit wilder. You can have buildings on the inside that have started to decay while the stuff on the outside outgrows the confines of whatever fences and stuff are there to begin with. So yeah, again, it's starting to lay out the ideas of where some of the stuff in my empire can be built, and that's really exciting to me. Yeah. I was wondering, because um, I know in the first iteration of it, you had an area where you were going to put a tunnel through the the road, like mm. underneath the road. Are you still considering doing that? Or is it going to, are you thinking it's going to be more of a solid structure? I want to have a tunnel in there. I'm just not sure where it goes yet because I've yeah. only just finished rebuilding this version of it. <laughs> Which but, is completely understandable. <laughs> yeah. I, but I think if I can, if I can plot the tunnel to be geometrically sound in the way that the curve is i'll be even happier so really it's yeah. just finding the right place on that curve to go through and come out the other side in a way that the entrance looks like again it was built by a competent architect yeah. <laughs> of which i i cannot necessarily profess to be one especially in in real world terms so i'm making a go of it in minecraft and cross your fingers for me <laughs> that it turns out okay <laughs> Yeah. Now, I mean, the the real question is, is this road filled in underneath with the ah. appropriate gravel and sand and water draining blocks? If you if you don't want to say in front of Heather, you can whisper it to me. It's yeah, no, no. It is it's absolutely hollow and currently a mob farm. So I do need to go through some torches <laughs> after know. this, after this. But uh, hey, I, I needed some gunpowder. So uh, it works out. <laughs> Um, we should move on to, into the news before we uh, get too sidetracked here. Um, there's a very short news read this week, nothing too much happening from the official Minecraft news front, so we got some, some fun stuff instead. First of all, the first ever Minecraft ice cream has been announced, although not fully released yet. I've noticed a couple of online influencers have had some stuff delivered to them, uh, but Minecraft has partnered with Nick's Ice Cream to create four Minecraft-themed ice cream flavors which are currently only going to be available in the united states excluding alaska and hawaii uh, the flavors are named cake blocker enchanted apple pie emerald minter and peanut chocolate glow dust they'll only be available online there's a pre-sale happening be between september 20th and 22nd so keep your eyes on the website we'll have that linked in our show notes and they're going to be on general sale after that but only for online purchase not available in stores the other thing we wanted to link you to this week is a Minecraft quality survey. We had one of these for the Bedrock Edition UI recently, but this is a much more general Minecraft experience survey. Once again, we'll link that in our show notes. This came from uh, Minecraft's Twitter presence, and it just says, help us improve the Minecraft experience for everyone. Participate in our quality survey and provide us with your feedback. The survey closes on September 22nd. So if you want to fill that out this week, make sure you do that before the 22nd rolls around. I think a survey is a really good chance for constructive feedback. You know, I I chalk it up to voting. If you didn't vote, then you don't get to complain about the stuff that your lack of voting has affected. And I think that it's a good opportunity to uh, participate in constructive feedback on the game so that people that do get vocal <laughs> about their opinions about Minecraft, I am not alone. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not one of those people, uh, then if I fill out the survey that I feel like, well, at least I've let the proper channel know 
you know, what I think, you know, of my Minecraft experience while I'm also, you know, talking about it either quietly or loudly online. But uh, I'm not sure how, how you feel about it, Johnny, but like I, I'm going to be taking it right after the show. I think I've already taken it. Um, I, I vaguely remember clicking a few radio buttons, but for the most part, it wasn't really anything that I have a huge problem with. Like there's a couple of things yeah. that I, I, you know, I wanted to be honest in my answers, but realistically... I, I I understand why things are the way they are right now, so I, I didn't have too much of a problem like rating everything pretty high and saying like, you know, I, I don't have any problems with this gameplay feature or that gameplay feature. But there are also text boxes for people to fill in and elaborate on their their answers. It's not just a series of scores, it's a little bit more than that. So definitely worth your time. Yeah, I did also appreciate that the um, the survey does touch on accessibility features. So mm -hmm. if you are somebody who requires accessibility features and you have opinions on the features that are in Minecraft, that's a good place to tell Mojang what your what your opinions are. Um, and and I think it's handled relatively well in that survey. So yeah, definitely definitely fill it out if you are over eighteen and and eligible to fill it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other news being the ice cream. Uh, I'm very jealous of everybody in the United States who has access to Minecraft ice cream flavors. Although, same. Yeah, on, on paper, they don't sound all that much different from ice cream that you could just get at the store anyway. I believe, from what I read briefly online, I think a couple of other creators had a, a brief dialogue over this. Uh, Nick's ice cream is made by somebody who the the, the company has been founded by somebody who is pre-diabetic, and so oh. there is less fat, less sugar, and a few other. things things which make this a slightly healthier ice cream to to consume but then i think that's all in proportion you know it's, it's how much of the ice cream you end up consuming see if you uh, you make a difference there but um at least the the theming around it seems very minecraft although people might be confused about why minecraft is making ice cream in the first place I'm not excited about the ice cream. I don't want to step <laughs> on anybody else's parade, but I just, I, I'm not familiar with Nick's ice cream. Even, I mean, we're not getting it in Canada, even though we share the border with the United mm. States. Um, but around here, when you see something like a brand ice cream, let's say Reese's peanut butter cup brand ice cream, for example, there's also local dairies that will have, you know, peanut butter fudge crunch or something, which is yeah. going to taste roughly the same or give you the same kind of experience for about half the price mm -hmm. uh so i'm i'm kind of wondering you know not knowing you know what the price tag is on nick's ice cream nick's minecraft ice cream compared to you know your local dairy you know version of whatever cake blocka could could be um <laughs> i i understand that there's a branding thing with minecraft i understand that there's a a you know obviously some marketing here but like i i never it never ceases to amaze me how ice cream flavors in general not just throwing shade at at the minecraft ice cream but like the names are always more complicated than they ever need to be <laughs> you know like uh, you could just call it creeper mint and I'd know exactly what you were going to give me. It's mint ice cream, you know, like, and creepers even look like they have chocolate chips, chips in them. Like I just, you know, like I, I, I would get it. Uh, but yeah, the, the emerald minta uh, and the, the peanut, was it chocolate? C-H-O-K-L-A-D. I guess they are taking a page from Minecraft with like really difficult things to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> I, th I, think, I think it's, I think it's all meant to be Swedish. Like, I think this is like oh, is specifically, yeah, ah. Swed Swedish, um, okay. you know, uh, uh, and, and, okay. and I, I, pr I presume they're all sort of cognates. So in terms of like what chocolate looks like, how it's written in in Swedish is probably just like more appropriate to their 
their letter usage i don't know but still it, it's yeah it, it's clearly trying to align itself with minecraft in a way that the actual ice cream itself can't because like you know nobody has ever tasted actual stuff from minecraft um yeah. the thing that this reminds me of i used to work for for disney back in the day and we had mm. like a product brainstorming thing with a bunch of people from the disney head office back when i used to work at club penguin and one of the things that came up was that people always want products for themed birthday parties and so this really feels like mm, one yes. of those things to me where it's like you know I've, I've seen people on the minecraft reddit being like oh hey my parents you know threw me a birthday party and they made me the minecraft cake and then there were a bunch of other little treats that are like you know carrot sticks for like you know golden carrots in the game and that kind of stuff right so i expect there's something uh, going on there with minecraft's marketing team of thinking oh hey people want stuff that seems minecraft themed for birthday parties and and celebrations and that kind of stuff so maybe we can provide something along official lines and maybe it'll sell well as a result of that yeah do you guys have ice cream cake where you are is that a thing uh i mean it's heard of but i don't know if it's a yeah. super common thing in the uk yeah, i, I just... don't know that i've ever seen it in scotland but i used to have ice cream cake for my birthdays in the states mm -hmm. <laughs> when yeah. i was growing up yeah yeah, depending on where you're you're from, ice cream cake for birthdays can be a, a pretty standard thing. Around here, usually a Dairy Queen ice cream cake was kind of like the norm growing up. Mm -hmm. And they would come, you can get them in different shapes. You can get them in like a log. You can get them in kind of like a, a regular cake shape. But they 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 stand up. Like when you cut into them and they, you sit, sit them on the plate, they would stand up on their own. And I can imagine a Minecraft ice cream cake where when you cut into it, when you pull it away, it could look like the side of a grass block, you know, like it would have yeah, like a grass cool. layer and the mm -hmm. dirt layer and then to be like mm -hmm. a fudge layer um, or what did you call it? A parch layer <laughs> 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 to get into some archaeology and into your ice cream cake. Uh, the, the, you could do some stuff like that with, with ice cream, but then you, I guess you'd be more dealing with it's how the cake is decorated and shaped versus like actual flavor brands uh, of this... different ice cream. This is longer than anybody expected us to spend on the Minecraft ice cream flavors. <laughs> I think, I, th I think we, I think we better move on to chunk mail, Joel. What do you think? I think, I think really all of us are wanting some ice cream, and that's <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. We're just subconsciously. Hey, I worked out this morning. I earned mine. <laughs> if you would like to email the show, you can send your messages to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please keep them brief. Uh, however, if you have a really good point and a really good idea, it it just might make it onto the show. Uh, this first email comes from Alejandro T. Cartography upgrade. Hello, Johnny, Joel, and Heather. I recently updated my old Minecraft world to 119 and went out exploring to find new content as one does every update. Eventually, I found myself in a boat leading a couple of frogs back to my base. I wanted to avoid the nether. I wondered if there was a way to get back home while staying in the water. So I opened MCA Selector, which allowed me to see a 2D map of everything I had explored in the world. And I was able to plot a boat course all the way back home with minimal walking involved. And it ended up being a great deal of fun. The voyage was an adventure. I ran into a village or two, found some abandoned portals and ships, all the while consulting the map to check my path through the rivers and seas. This made me think it would be a great improvement to have our cartography feature or cartographers should sell maps to show that all sorts of things like triple skeleton spawners, quad fortress intersections, specific biomes and entire pieces of the overworld without having to explore the area yourself with an empty map. The cartography table could get an upgrade as well. You could zoom in to maps, drag maps, place maps, scroll the Y level in order to map caves. We could of course, retain some structures that remain unmapped to incentivize random exploration, special remote prizes uh, invite exploration, 
and even the old cobblestone dungeons would be revitalized by the possibility of a triple and quad setup. Cheers from Argentina. Alejandro fell out of the map. (laughs) (laughs) Fell out of the map is a very good uh, variation on that. Very, very funny. Yeah. Yes. I just want to comment on these frogs and the adventure that they had getting home. (laughs) Yeah. Because... They went through several villages, some abandoned portals, and abandoned ships. Like, where are the frogs in all of this? That's what I want to know. <laughs> having having dragged a bunch of frogs around by boat, they really enjoy water skiing. Is what it looks like because they're, they're they're literally like you know with a, with a couple of leads attached to them, they just kind of hang out behind your boat. And yeah, it's it's a, an adventure for those frogs, but they seem like they enjoy it. <laughs> I've not moved any frogs yet. It's like I, as much as you know, as long as it's been since one nineteen dropped. Like I, I have not messed with frogs yet. Yeah, I, I honestly think that Alejandro made the right move bringing them back via water because mm. when you're bringing any animals back by land, you've got to have them on leads. An animal gets stuck on a block very easily, even if they're you know most animals can get over a block just with their standard walking animation. They don't need a great deal of prompting but sometimes the geometry of the block just makes it difficult for their ai to respond to it and they get stuck and before you know it one of your leads is broken and the cow or frog or whatever it is has wandered off so i i do think that bringing them back via the ocean is a very smart move heather what did you think about this I thought it's an interesting concept. Um, I like the idea of the cartographers and and the maps having a bit more purpose to them in Minecraft. Um, I think a lot of people really enjoy mapping their own areas or mapping friends' areas, but at the same time, there are, uh, well, depending on which version you play, there, there are limitations to how you can mark the maps or whether you can mark them at all. And I, I like the idea of getting more uh, mechanics in there for it. I would slightly amend the idea, personally, from an archaeological perspective, if, if I mean, I'm coming at this from the perspective of if we want this to be semi-close to reality, I guess, or semi-close to archaeology, um, I would be interested in each of the cartographers having different information. So, so you don't just have one villager or, or like you can't just have 10 cartographers in your, in your base that tell us where all of the, tell you where all of the cool things are on your map. You have to kind of physically go to different villages and there's different knowledge in that village or there's different knowledge in, you know, a map that you find in a structure similar to like the buried treasure maps, just slightly more complex. Um, but the difficulty there is that I don't. I, I feel like that would be really difficult to, to implement in Minecraft at the moment. But I like the idea of different communities having different knowledge, all of which is eventually relatively useful. But it's not, you know, you don't necessarily go to a community for the specific knowledge you're looking for and automatically get the specific knowledge you're looking for. You might have to search a couple of villages in order to do that. Yeah, so like a village that's closer to an ocean or like out on a river or something like that might have knowledge of where ocean monuments or drowned ruins or something like that are, but you're not going to get that from a landlocked snow plains village where the structures around there are going to be very different. They might point you towards the nearest igloo where we find those research stations and that kind of stuff. So that's a, a neat way of streamlining it a little bit. And considering that I think one of the biggest problems with the treasure map approach in Minecraft right now is that you frequently get treasure maps that point you towards the same thing. When you yes. dig up a, a buried treasure somewhere or you get a treasure from a nearby shipwreck, you get a map 
to that and the treasure has already been one that you found earlier and (laughs) because they're hard-coded in the world seed you don't end up finding another one it can't direct you to just like the next treasure over some of the time so that yeah maybe be a challenge from a programming perspective but i do like the idea of maps being more detailed i like them being a record for players more so than something that you get from the cartographers themselves because then that opens things up to doing what alejandro did plotting a course and maybe Mm. drawing a dotted line on the map of where you've been or where you want to go and i think that creates a really interesting experience for players and having them be more easily customizable to players after the fact and they can more easily act as a record is something I really like the idea of. And at the time of this recording, Bedrock Edition players still can't use banners as map markers. And so yeah. it'd, it'd be interesting to see some mechanics implemented that circumvent whatever problem is preventing them from implementing that on Bedrock Edition right now. I like your idea, Heather, of going to different villages for different information. And that could even be broadened to all of the villager professions. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe you have to go to the landlocked village to get information about, you know, smelting and weaponry and stuff like that. And then if you want more fishery or farming, you have to go to a different village. Uh, I'm trying to think about what the other professions are. You know, maybe things like, you know, a shepherd, you have to go to a village in the mountains, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, because right now, I mean, a lot of times you'll see players that spend a lot of time in the game talk about, you know, how OP villager trading is and just you set up, you know, 20 villagers and you kind of have all the trades that you'd ever need, uh, whatever, whenever you want. And it would add a layer of complexity and difficulty in that if you wanted your specific, we'll say, you know, cleric redstone trade, you had to find a very specific, you know, savanna village with that cleric's knowledge. Uh, and then if you wanted to breed more of those villagers, you'd have to do it in a savanna. I don't know what that looks like from a coding perspective. Like, I'm not yeah. sure whether it's difficult to separate that out. Because right now, Johnny, correct me if I'm wrong, the only differences between the villagers in terms of where they're from is just what they look like in terms of their clothing. It's got yeah. nothing to do with... You can still get yeah. the same trades from from a villager profession in no matter where they're from, right? I believe the only thing that changes is what material the fisherman's boat trade is. So if you're ah, in an if you're right. in a savanna village, you get an acacia boat because that's local wood. But that, I think right. that's the literally the only one that's different, which is mm. quite a surprise, honestly, considering yeah. that they've thought about that. But then things don't get any more diverse than that between the different types of villages. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I have actually semi done this in my survival series on YouTube where I'm approaching it for, as an archaeologist and kind of um, the the series where I explain the mechanics of Minecraft through an archaeological lens and compare them to reality kind of stuff. Um, one of the things I did was instead of going to a village and say increasing the population and getting villagers of specific professions, I have gone to villages and only used the professions that are in that village. So there's no player agency in that world for me to then get new professions in that village. There are ways of, you know, getting more villagers if I really want to, but the first village that I went to had four leather workers and one blacksmith. And uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, this is helpful, except it's also not helpful. Mm-hmm. So, so it meant that I needed to find a different village. And that is something that's, you know, imposing your own limitations on your gameplay that might be a little, well, it, it's 
it makes it more optional so that people who don't want to do it don't have to, but it is also something that you kind of have to do yourself. Um, but it is, it does cause you to approach villages in a different way because I, I can't just make a librarian villager. So if I don't find a village with a library anywhere nearby, it's gonna, it's gonna take a while before I end up with enchanted books of some kind, you know, and, and mm -hmm. that's a really interesting kind of tension to explore that I think the, the, the typical approach to Minecraft doesn't necessarily encourage per se. I like that you brought up, you know, the self limitations on your own gameplay, because uh, briefly, that's kind of what I've done on the Citadel. I use the Zeros world map and Zeros mini map, which I've mentioned a number of times here on the show, and we'll have links in our show notes to those um, forge mods. Um, and there, the map has a huge capability regimen of everything from like tracking mobs to cave mapping to teleporting to leaving waypoints and markers uh, that don't involve banners you can just like label something on your map now it's a it's a ui map you don't get to see it in game if you want to have something hanging on the wall in minecraft you have to make the map the old-fashioned way and use the um the banner as a marker um, but for me, I, I've sh shut all of that off and I only use it as a visual kind of like top down mm -hmm. view of my world. It allows me to build roads a lot easier. It allows me to map out, you know, the area and get a, a kind of a bird's eye view. But what I found, I liked so much about it. The last time I played modded Minecraft, when I was exploring a new world was just the, even though it wasn't mapping anything I hadn't seen, it was mapping the render distance as opposed to whatever the distance is on a map when you're mapping in Minecraft, which is like yeah. 100 blocks or not even that. It's like it's 64 or something. It's really small. It feels like you're basically just walking through the, fo the fog of war that's like right in front of you when you're trying to yeah. map in the Minecraft in-game stuff. But with the the this um, Zero's world map, you could see far afield. And so you could see, oh, that's the edge of a snowy biome. I'm going to stop going north because I'm really looking for a desert. So I'm going to just take a left here. And it ended up saving me a lot of time because you could kind of see ahead of yourself as to what you're kind of getting into. And I liked that aspect of it. I also liked because um, because it was modded and I wasn't sure exactly what to be looking for. When you saw something from the top down, you're like, what is that? That's not a yeah. Minecraft structure. You was like, that looks like it could be a house or something. And it ended up being some sort of like witch hut version or like something else in the world. And well, I think there's a little bit in Alejandro's email that would be a, like a little bit too much of a gift to the player, like it would kind of discourage exploration when you're handed like, well, here's a triple spawner or here's, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like if you could at least see a little bit more and see more clearly with the Minecraft maps, then I think it would incentivize, incentivize players to use them more. Um, I particularly um, would prefer a better looking map to then hang on the wall. Uh, right now, the Minecraft colors, whether they are uh, in a map, are really kind of 8-bit. Like they really feel old to me. And that's something I like so much about the Zero's world map is that you can change that to be like reflect more of the colors that you see in game, which allows you to really quickly kind of figure out where you are. And I think that um, even though I know there's a a system in place for map art in Minecraft and upheaving that would cause some friction, but I feel like it's not as intuitive as it should be. And I just kind of think of like an update to cartography that would involve exploration, involve the kind of things that you brought up today, Heather, and allow 
a different kind of map art or more map art to be made customized like man you could open up all kinds of creativity in terms as well as like you know exploration gameplay and stuff like that so i think it would be an interesting thing to, to update in the game yeah like considering that i recently put down a treasure map kind of paper trail for mm. joey graceffa to follow on the empire's server that led to a pirate hideout it would have been so much more fun if i could put like the treasure x mark on there and a dotted line leading up to it or some other symbols around there and eventually i had to make do with adding like a skull emoji which you can print as a unicode emoji in the game now and and attach that to a banner and hang that in a secret place inside this fort but even that didn't display properly it left a transparent border around the outside of it which was yeah. visible through the map and stuff so there's some some odd eccentricities to maps right now that could really do with tightening up if we we got a a different map system and i don't know like how infrequently i find stuff like triple spawners and i imagine like quad witch huts and that kind of stuff would come up <laughs> like given that sometimes when you get a woodland explorer map and the woodland mansion is tens of thousands of blocks away i can imagine yeah. the game pointing you to stuff that's actually like tens of millions of blocks out if it's the one place in your world that mathematically generated that combination of structures and i can't see that being genuinely useful to anybody unless you're flying around in creative and teleporting yourself around yeah i would i would agree with that that the even with like the buried treasure sometimes i'm just like this is too far away <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't i don't know if it's worth it for some gold and some iron and the chance of a heart of the sea <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know if i want to do this so it's, yeah it's got to be an approachable mechanic for casual players i think as well as yeah. something that appeals to the the technical side of us so let's uh, move on to our second email. This one comes in from Chef Samuel, who is a landscape artist member of our patron community. And the subject is structures updates ahead of archaeology. Hey, Pix, Joel and Heather. Over the last few updates and announcements, Mojang seems to be focusing loosely on the history of Minecraft, with the addition of the Ancient City in the Wild update, the new Minecraft Legends game, and previously mentioning archaeology at Minecraft Live. Given this trajectory, what would you think of a structures update for Minecraft 1.20? This update could include updates to the loot tables or structure design of dungeons and underappreciated structures like drowned villages, wells, classic dungeons, etc. A fresh look at the savannah or badlands biomes while adding one or two new structures or biome features to the environment, like a watering hole or mud hut ruins or quality of life tweaks like updated UI for Bedrock users as well as some pre-discussed configurable inventory interactions like a scrollable tool slot or an auto-sorting button for your inventory. In my opinion, these would seem to prepare the game and players for something as groundbreaking as archaeology in the future. Thanks for the great show! Chef Samuel lost track of time while studying the runes on the desert temple walls. <laughs> I appreciate the pun of groundbreaking groundbreaking yeah yeah <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> very good so uh heather obviously you're you're the expert here how did you feel about the addition of the ancient city and adding so much of that history and implied history into the wild update was that something that immediately interested you were you scared of the warden and didn't really want to go down there <laughs> what what was your what was your take on the ancient city uh, yeah, I love the ancient cities. I I have yet to explore one because I have yet to find one. Um, but the the concept of it, well, okay, I've explored one in creative kind of zooming around, but um, but in terms of exploring it in survival, which is a, a whole different experience, obviously. Um, 
I, I'm really excited by the ancient city as a concept. I am also terrified of the warden as a concept, mm -hmm. um, as, as a, a more casual, a, a player who generally doesn't do well with PVE, um, <laughs> having, having a big scary dude who will just sonic boom me into non-existence is a little worrying. Um, but I do appreciate the recent discovery that a number of people have made that you can distract him with pistons and it's fine. Um, but yeah, I think the the ancient city there's there's a lot there and I would say as a structure there is so much more depth to where this I mean I mean it's a series of structures uh, as an ancient city but there's so much more depth in terms of where it's coming from and that it's echoing other structures on the surface that theoretically are almost descendants of this original structure since this is an ancient city. Um, and I like the the portal that is the you know the shape of the warden's mouth kind of situation. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of unknowns in ancient cities in terms of what it's for, who was there, what the portal is doing, what why the warden exists, what the skulk is, and how it's you know affecting things. And then there's also as I think we we have discussed before people have discussed before there's this um this understanding that somebody has come into the ancient city before you and already explored it themselves in a sense um or their their mechanics where that can kind of there's there's allusions to that which is a really interesting thing to include that i think adds so much depth to the structure and if all the other structures or, or at least the main ones in Minecraft could have that kind of depth to them, I think the world would feel a lot richer than it often does. Um, when it comes to, say, like desert temples, they're really interesting, but there's there's relatively little in them in terms of lore per se. I mean, there's there's the four chests and the, you know, the trap and everything, and that's fun, but it's desert temples are built more to be useful to the player as like a fun reward for the player if they can manage to survive it. Um, and the same is similar of, of jungle temples and pretty much all of the structures in Minecraft. Whereas the ancient city, there's this sense that it doesn't just exist for the benefit of the player, that there are other reasons this city is here. And, and we may not ever find out exactly what those reasons are. And so that that plays into archaeology far better than a lot of these other structures do, just because there's there's the mystery, there's the the inherent otherness, you know, there are other people involved in creating this structure or other other entities at least involved in creating it. Um, and then there's the question of things like the skulk and the warden and and also the redstone. I like that there's there's the redstone elements in at least a lot of these ancient cities, depending on how they generate, but generally they have the the redstone sort of teaching element, but you have to survive the warden and then like hide in a specific location to, to find the redstone, really. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it plays into a lot of different narratives that are positive narratives, I think, when looking at the past, if that makes sense. Yeah, like this came up during our talk where we were discussing the ancient city and I brought up the campsite that's there. And mm. this is what, what you were saying alludes to the idea that 
somebody has been there other than the player and other than the civilization that built the ancient city in the first place so there is yeah. a an interstitial another interloper has come in 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 the the between time between you finding the ancient city and whatever happened to it to begin with which is a fascinating thing to 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 speculate about but yeah. we're we're not necessarily going to get a full set of answers to that but imagine you're, you're used to the structure of desert temples. Maybe you're a player who's played for a while, or maybe you're a new player. You've discovered one desert temple. It just has the chamber with the four chests in it, the TNT trap. You raid one of those, you get some items all very well. Next time you find a desert temple, you open the same thing, and it's already been raided by someone else, but you're on a single-player world. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, it, it at least alludes to the idea that there are other people out there or other people might be seeking out this stuff and then instead of being rewarded with a couple of golden apples some rotten flesh some bones an emerald or two the usual desert temple loot you're rewarded with a sense of maybe like fear that there is somebody else in your world and is doing similar stuff like do you think that that really makes for a rewarding experience for the player uh, do you think it's the kind of thing that they could include more variation into those structures I think it's certainly something that for for me would make that a lot more interesting because the part of part of the appeal of say finding dungeons or or you know nether fortresses is that you don't always know exactly what loot is going to be in there um and and I think taking that a step further of you don't even know if there's going to be loot you know maybe the chest is still there but it's just a couple of sticks and you know some broken leather boots or something um and yeah you you get that on multiplayer servers but it would be really interesting if they just kind of were generated that way and the one of the one of the things about the that i was kind of saying about the structures um is that at the moment most of the structures serve exist to serve the player and when we talk about archaeology archaeology doesn't exist to serve our needs um, people a thousand years ago weren't building something so that we would necessarily benefit from it. They didn't know that we would exist, you know? So, so the majority of things that you find that are ancient don't fit that narrative or shouldn't fit that narrative. And that's one of the things I really like about the ancient city is that the ancient city doesn't exist for the player's benefit inherently. It doesn't mean that you can't benefit from the ancient city or that there isn't stuff to to explore, but the purpose like the ancient city doesn't exist for the player in that sense. And I think if we could bring that into say the desert temples where um where you have different maybe even just different structures to the desert temple where you know it's not always the same layout. Um there might be hidden chambers in different directions or something or maybe there's different um you know, different dangers that you encounter. I think it, it could be really eerie to be on a single player world and drop into a, a, a desert temple and realize that the the chests are there, but all the TNT is gone. And so what does what does that mean? You know, you're on a single player world and there's or like there's one TNT left. So it's obvious there was TNT there, but it's not there anymore. Who took the TNT? Um, and it's kind of one of the things that I started talking about again in this this conference that we did. I had a talk right before the one that Johnny and I did um, where I was talking about Minecraft as a medium for storytelling, I think. And the the main one of the main points I was making is that in order, there are ways that we can tell archaeological stories 
in Minecraft where we build the site and we build it the way that it looks and you know we try to get the colors right or we try to get the materials right and then we say right Bob's your uncle we're done and that's great or you can add things to it that encourage people to ask questions and i think it's it when it comes to structures in Minecraft if if the the dev team could revisit them to try and see what questions those structures are encouraging the player to ask, I think it could lead to some really interesting updates to a lot of the structures. Jill, what do you think about structure updates as far as desert temples, jungle temples, that kind of stuff? Uh, do you think they need updating? Do you think they need more variation? Well, to build on what Heather was saying, I, I think that they're ripe for, for change. Uh, we have newer things like, I mean, nether fortresses are, are newer than I think some of these older structures mm. like desert temples and jungle temples. But bastions are even newer, and we all know how complex those are. I mean, I've seen videos from creators where they've broken out the different uh, puzzle pieces, the jigsaw pieces of mm -hmm. the bastions and how they're randomly constructed. And I think that in order to do something like that with um, desert temples, uh, you would inherently be adding story to the world, especially if not just like a completed desert temple with uh, to take your example, Heather, of different rooms and different secret passages, but like mm. in different states of decay. Yeah. You know, de so that it looks, it's like this one is obviously intact. So it was built later than the one that's nothing but a foundation. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe you encounter the foundation with a very clear layout, but then what does that look like if you encounter that same layout, but it's fully built? Like, is it different? Are you going to be able to recognize it? That kind of stuff I think would be very interesting. And, uh, I like that idea of adding some sort of implied history, um, which which is not as recent as like, you know, the TNT is missing, but like it has a little bit more yeah. more depth to it. And I think we get that. And in, in the drowned, what are they called? Drowned ruins, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't explore them all that much because there's not, <laughs> their loot's not dangerous. great. You got to hold <laughs> your breath forever. And there's yeah. generally drowned and trident, you know, tridents everywhere. So you're like, yeah. well, like, is it really worth my time? No, but... But when you go down there, I'm never down there and go, I know exactly where to go. It's like, all right, now where's the chest in this one? Like, it's a lot more engaging because of how different they are. And I like them just to kind of sail by and go like, ooh, that's cool. You know, and just yeah. to, to, to just to look at. And I can't remember the name of the mod. It was one of the biome bundle things from a long time ago. But it added just like all kinds of just random ruins throughout your world. They had absolutely no looted them. It was just like a broken stone wall or half yeah. of a tower, something that you would walk by. And uh, I think just made me feel like I was playing a more modern video game. And I like that idea, um, combining all of these ideas, you know, like is more engaging stuff for the player, more questions, which I think is a really good point. But then also variation, you know, like you've got these, yeah. these things have been older. And I understand that, some of this stuff is is vintage Minecraft and they don't want to kind of always steamroll the history of the game, but like you can add others, like you can still have your classic jungle temple and just add to it, add variations to it. You don't have to replace the one that exists now. Um, I think more redstone puzzles, you know, that are, mm. are, are tougher or um, I don't want to say more lethal because I don't necessarily, necessarily find that fun. <laughs> I'm with you on the PVE uh, Heather, I, I tend to, yeah. I tend to prefer just like exploring and building and stuff, but you know, like the, the jungle temple one is, is not the hardest thing. I, I imagine with the new things that we have involved, especially with like skulk sensors and stuff like that, I wonder if there could be some sort of like implied, you know, history to a structure where, oh, this is a new kind of jungle temple. It has a 
skulk sensor in it. So like, is that because these people were involved with the ancient city or did they just explore the ancient city at some point and bring this back because they found it useful? Like, I think there's all kinds of different things that you could, you could apply there. Um, I think that the idea of archeology span um, coming or I guess I, they've mentioned it. <laughs> We've mm. really not got much more sense. And I know we're going to yeah. get into this in the main discussion. So I'm kind of like bridging <laughs> that gap, but like, I feel like the idea of updating these structures ahead of time would be a good warm up to that. I like uh, Chef Samuel's point to like the archaeology update might not be ready right now, but there are things that Mojang could potentially do to prep players for that that would still generate content and still not be uh, bland. And I, and I like that idea rather than, you know, I can see something as I'm probably sure you could Heather, something like an archeology span update to Minecraft getting very large, very quickly. Yes. You know, I can see that expanding <laughs> to the point where it becomes, this is a, a large undertaking. So dividing it into digestible chunks and figuring out like, well, what could we do to kind of like lay the groundwork? Um, and Johnny, I'm struggling to remember what we've seen in the past about like Minecraft laying the groundwork for something. Like, I feel like maybe villagers and the like the village and pillage update was like laying the groundwork for the nether a little bit like because we had like the villager trading thing was was implemented but then we had piglin trading and everybody kind of knew what was going on with that because you knew what villager trading was yeah and I, I think i feel the, like they kind of took those steps you know the closest example i can think of is from a very mechanical perspective and it was in 1.15 i believe was when they first started trialing the option of having three-dimensional biomes so there being biomes that didn't extend all the way right. through a full chunk of the world and that was what people thought was going to be happening with the biomes in the nether for the nether update and eventually ended up happening later for caves and cliffs with dripstone caves and lush caves and now the deep dark right so there's a couple of times in the past where that has been their approach but it seems to be from a background mechanics under the hood perspective and then that leads into a, a theme for an update. But when Ulraf initially debuted the proposed archaeology feature, which was in a, a rougher state, I think, at the time than, than some of the other features that were announced for Caves and Cliffs, which may be why it was intentionally you know, left out of Caves and Cliffs later. Mm. But he mentioned that people already look at archaeological sites in Minecraft, but they don't really consider them archaeological sites because there isn't a system to support that. So yes. yes, the desert temples, the jungle temples, those are really ancient sites that people see as a raid and run opportunity right now instead of providing more lore and history to the world and something we can study from an archaeological, anthropological level. And so trying to find out more about the world is really what needs to happen for the archaeology system to have any kind of groundwork laid so yeah there, there is there is potential for that let's move on into our our main discussion where we can discuss some of this stuff a little bit more because naturally with heather's expertise in this field we wanted to talk about what minecraft's shelved archaeology system might bring to the game and how it might work and you had a couple of ideas that i thought were quite important based on the the framework of the system that we've seen already so so let's get into it sure i see what they're going with or what they were trying to go with with the archaeology system um as as an archaeologist 
there is a common misconception that the main tool of archaeologists is a brush. Uh -huh. And that is not the case. <laughs> um, our main tool is a trowel. Um, and it's it's basically like a builder's trowel rather than a gardening trowel. Um, and the, the type of trowel you use depends on where you are. So say North Americans tend to use one brand that is like a larger trowel that has, you know, sharp edges. Whereas in the UK, we use a, a slightly smaller trowel that has like blunted edges. Um, and uh, and there's a whole like archaeology of trowels that I'm sure you could do, um, but yeah. So so one thing would be to not use a brush. Um, brushes only really work in dry soils or or dirt um, because because the, you know if you're using sand for example, then they're really handy for getting sand out of crevices. But if you're not digging in sand. And, and this archaeology system was talking about dirt and gravel, especially, I would not want to use a brush in gravel that wasn't extremely dry because <laughs> it, it just smears everything. So mm -hmm. you lose track of what you're actually able to see. And it's better to actually just clean that with your trowel rather than with a brush. So I would say, I would say use a trowel, A, because trowels are fun, and, uh, and B, because brushes are not actually our main tool. Um, and I don't think they're even in the top. Like, I, I think I've only used a brush maybe once or twice in archaeology, and I've been doing it for about 12 years or so. Oh, my, um, my mind is blown. Ne next, you'll be telling me that archaeologists don't use whips. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't do that either. <laughs> um, but we do, like, the my even my Minecraft skin, I have, uh, well, I have a two-dimensional pixelated representation of a mattock, which is the other tool that I use most often in archaeology. And that's just to break through more ground at a time. If you're trying to get through topsoil, basically, we can't find anything. Well, you find stuff in topsoil, but because it's in the topsoil, we can't really securely date it, if that makes sense. We can't really say, oh, this is definitely from a different context to everything else in this layer, because usually topsoil is the stuff that gets plowed up. It's the stuff that gets moved around. So that ends up being kind of what we end up calling stray finds a lot of the time. Um, so, so if you're trying to get through topsoil, a mattock works really well. Um, and obviously trying to represent a mattock in uh, pixel art in a Minecraft skin is really difficult. So it doesn't quite look like a mattock, but it's close enough. Um, but yeah, so, so I would change the tool. Um, but then I would also, as somebody who is not a pottery specialist or a uh, semi-precious stone specialist, I would say find things other than gems and pot shirts. Um, there's no, there's no inherent reason to only find those things because obviously people in the past used a whole variety of different objects and pottery in Minecraft is not actually that common of a thing. So it, it would make sense if there was pottery everywhere and ceramics everywhere in the structures that we currently have, but otherwise it implies this past civilization that relied on pottery so much more than than the the modern the the current world of Minecraft does which could be interesting but there's there's more you can do there i think um and then i would also be really really careful in and this is getting at kind of the structure of the system where the it encourages you to go and find these objects and then take them back to your base and then do something with them for your own benefit and there's the difficulty there is that uh, it doesn't really it, it encourages narratives where players come in and take the heritage of whichever group of people 
uh, are descendants of these communities and then take it back to their base and do what they want with it without really thinking about the descendant communities. And that is, while not an intentional narrative that, that Mojang was probably aiming for in this update, it is something that ends up being a narrative unintentionally. And so I would I would try to uh, remove any of the mechanics that encourage using the objects you find for your own benefit. Doesn't mean you can't do that, but the, the decision should be on the player and it shouldn't necessarily be encouraged in one direction or the other by the mechanic, if if that's possible. Um, yeah, the, the ethical issues surrounding archaeological finds are an aspect of this I hadn't even considered. And I think it's probably just because of my tendency to view this as a video game and to view worlds as disposable yeah. and temporary right but like with mojang encouraging players to look into conservation and you know think twice before they mine out a coral reef and you know a lot of the the discourse we've had recently about fireflies not being added to the game as food for frogs because you know they want players to treat things as just you know, individual discrete groups of potentially endangered animals yes. rather than, you know, just food for something else. The same thing with, you know, feeding cookies to parrots and chocolate being deadly to them. Mm. Um, I, I was wondering if even if um, providing this sort of more nuanced take on archaeology was maybe part of the reason that feature took a backseat when Caves and Cliffs was split. It's almost like we're not quite ready to do it justice along with all of the other stuff that they were trying to change about the game in that update. And... It reminds me of how many comments I've received after now building a museum on Empire's SMP, encouraging me to avoid stealing and displaying things from the other empires, because that mirrors colonialist behavior that's led to a lot of artifacts being taken, as you say, from their cultures of origin and displayed without permission, often just, yeah, having had stuff taken from archaeological sites and displayed in, in museums in other countries. Um, and so that black market comparison is really interesting to me as well. And I wonder how players could be encouraged to celebrate those finds and feel rewarded without immediately assessing their value and whether they were worth trading to other players right away and being removed from all of the context in which they were found. Yes. Uh, there's, goodness, there's a lot there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um I, yeah, I I don't know exactly what you could do in terms of a mechanic, but I'm thinking something along the lines of, like, collection um, statistics, where you don't, like, you just have to have held the thing or seen the thing in order for it to register as being, you know, in your collection or whatever. And the, that's all it is. It's just, you, you just collect them. You know, it doesn't have to be in your possession. It's like, oh, I went and saw this thing in this place. Um I don't know. I think it, it it would probably get very complex trying to have because because in order to discourage players from necessarily treating the world as as you know a, a sandbox effectively um, or their own sandbox, it would require at least say like the villages becoming a lot more lively and a lot more interactive in terms of in terms of how they're represented and and understanding that these villages for example have their own cultures and their own practices and their own beliefs as we were talking about with rings of power <laughs> um earlier uh just just getting a sense that these these villagers have these belief systems and these cultural practices that are important to them. And so if you find heritage that belongs to them, 
maybe it, it you know it, it it encourages you to ask that question a little bit more of should i leave this here should i take it with me or should i maybe work you know build a, a museum in the local community where i can have this on display so i still have it in a museum i'm not just like tossing it out but at the same time it's there um, I do think it would also be interesting, and this is probably far too complex to really put into Minecraft easily, but I think it would be interesting to have a certain amount of knowledge or, or archaeological excavation that villagers don't take kindly to. Um, and it can be randomized depending on the village, but there's there's a lot of knowledge out there, particularly in indigenous communities, that outsiders are not permitted to know or or not permitted to explore, and they're allowed to have that. You know, nobody nobody has to open up their entire culture to scrutiny by everybody else in the world. Certainly not sacred practices. So I think it could be really interesting if you want to do an archaeology update. Some some real justice, having mechanics in there where local groups are not necessarily okay with you just digging around, similar to what the piglins do with gold and chests and things. Um, you could you could add that element of, is it really worth me looking for this? Or, oh, maybe actually they don't want me doing this, so maybe I shouldn't. Um, that doesn't mean that, that players will always choose, you know, the, the ethical answer necessarily, because it is a video game. Um, but, but it at least encourages the ethical answer. And to your point of wondering if these sort of ethical questions may have been part of delaying the archaeology update, I think it very well could be. Um, I do know that there is at least one archaeologist on the Minecraft education team. Um, so, so it's entirely possible that once they kind of got into the, the logistics of the archaeology system, they realized it, A, would be significantly larger than they were initially planning if they wanted to really do it justice, but also B, that it, these questions of ethics are really difficult to handle in a video game without a lot of prior planning, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it really does. And it's a very interesting insight into why they might have delayed the feature and what could be done to encourage the feature being used responsibly, I yeah. guess, is the, is the the best way of putting it. And yeah, the, there's, there is so much there about whether villagers treat the player more in, in a more hostile way. They already have a few mechanics with villagers related to your reputation, whether that's mm -hmm. just increasing trade prices if you've recently punched one of the local villagers or the yeah. iron golems eventually getting mad at you if you've done enough to damage your reputation with these villagers. That I don't know if the villagers themselves would close themselves off to trade entirely because that might seem too difficult of a mechanic to convey with non-verbal you know mm. without any kind of text in the game or anything signposting it but there's there's potentially options there even to include a, another race of creatures like the piglins but ones which you know have uh, an objection to you digging up and moving artifacts the one thing you said about placing artifacts and, and just being in the presence of one and adding it to a collection i think that's more plausible than it sounds because mm. we already have a system in the game that tracks player progress through things like advancements and there are already mechanics which track players proximity to certain things when advancements are earned because you don't have to be the one who activates a beacon or the one who necessarily kills the ender dragon if there are other players in a certain radius around the event as it happens, they also get the advancement simply because they were there at the time. Right. Yeah. And so that could be a mechanic used to encourage players to, let's say, 
you know, put three artifacts on display. And so it's not like you have to have them in your inventory. They are just near each other in the world. And that allows players to come and visit those and not be encouraged to take them, but get an advancement, get a reward of sorts for simply being in the presence of three or more of these artifacts at once. Yeah, I think that would be really cool too, because it allows for, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's certainly like Joel was saying earlier, of having variation in the 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 depth of history that each area has something that could become a part of villages if they wanted to um add it is that certain villages just spawn with you know like a local maybe a local museum or even just in like the cleric building or the library building there's just like a little glass case with some kind of object in it um, that's that's important to that community, and I feel like that wouldn't be terribly difficult to do, um, as as you say, especially if it's with a with a pre-generated structure. You could have a, a certain number of variables that just do that, and then you know the player just has to say right click on it to to view it, quote unquote, and and then it gets kind of listed as an achievement or a collection or something like that. I think that could be really cool. And if you have variation in what those objects are or how many there are in any given village or 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 something, that could lead to, again, that sense of depth of um society and existence and and humanity that these these villages could have. I like the idea of having some sort of lock on the the objects that you might find losing any inherent value if you remove them from you know the area or as you mentioned like the perceived culture where you found them mm. so rather than having um something that you'd want to collect and then take back to your your home base build and and utilize i like the idea of like unlocking blueprints or unlocking the ability to craft something new uh, so rather than maybe taking things away yeah. from the player, like we already know that villager trading is a thing. If you put this object of reverence on display in a village where you found it, then maybe you unlock new trades that you would not get and cannot get if you move that object somewhere uh -huh. else. Like you, br you bring it back to your villager trade center of 100 villagers, doesn't work. You have to, it has to be in the biome where you found it or under the village where you found it or whatever. And I don't know what that object is. I mean, my brain is just going to like little statues just because I can't <laughs> think of anything else, but it, like you just, it needs to have some sort of example. Yeah. Um, and to, and to Johnny's point about like having three objects together and having that achievement or, or advancement unlocked. I mean, you could do stuff like that where, you know, if you want this village to enjoy the boon of, of these uh, three, uh, little statues like the more that like if you get all three of them together well what does that do i think as yeah. much as the overworld you know looks like earth uh there's a lot of magic in minecraft there's a lot of weird yes. things in minecraft and yeah. i think that they have an opportunity there to say all right well what if these three statues end up being close together and it actually benefits the village like maybe zombies can't cross a threshold in the same way that you know people have been calling for uh, beacons to have some sort of like advanced end game player benefits because they've been in the, the game for so long. Uh, what Mojang ended up doing, I think, is like changing the, the light levels for, for mob spawning that changed that dramatically. But, you know, to have something like that, that would keep the village safe at night by these three, I don't know, three golden livestock statues, you know, pig, cow and, and sheep and combine all three and you get this magical 
you know, you know, protection on the village. I just think there could be some really fun things to kind of communicate. And I'd love for these objects or anything that is found through archaeology to be kind of weird. Like I'd love, mm -hmm. I love the idea of a giant cow head just carved out of gold. And it looks like a Minecraft yeah. block with the exception of a little bit of, re you know, a little bit of relief in the same way that an anvil is mostly a block, but there's only a few things missing from it. I yeah. think that that could be really fun. You could do all kinds of really weird things or villager heads, like villager heads kind of look like Easter Island anyway. So you could do, <laughs> you could do some really, really fun things. And I'm just remembering like even the Minecraft trailer for Minecraft Live recently with everybody bobbing their head. Like the big blocky head is such an iconic Minecraft thing. Yeah. And, and we have those carvings in some of the blocks already, like the the wither and creepers and there's a piglin snout in Blackstone. Like that kind of stuff could be really, really cool. And to your point, Johnny, about like being in the presence of something, like what if there's uh, an archaeological find you know something like a, an archway or an old tomb or something along the lines of like a piglin bastion that you discover in the overworld and you can get the achievement and by getting the achievement of finding it you can then have the ability to craft those blocks without removing them yeah like yeah. Uh, i love yeah. the can, idea yeah so yeah. you can remove it if you want to remove it it is if, if it's in the way of your triple witch farm get rid of it you can be that guy if you want to be uh, or girl but but for but if you wanted to leave it and pretend like okay well i found this thing and it's a really cool archaeological site and i'm going to pretend i'm going to rp and i'm going to leave it intact but i still want to be able to build with these cool new pillar blocks and this amazing new archway i get to do that because of either time spent in the area like you get to hang around you know for a certain length of time to unlock the blueprints maybe you have to discover the blueprints in a chest or something but then it just will allow you to then craft these cool new pillar blocks. All you need is diorite and quartz because we need uses for those anyway. <laughs> and and then you can make this new thing. And therefore, you're not destroying the thing that you found, but you've learned something new. And then you can apply it to other things. And I'm struggling to remember the name of the mod, but there was a mod that allowed you to do that where you could take like, you can make a blueprint structure like a stair or a slant roof or something. And you can apply any texture to it that you had already found carpenter's blocks i think that might I be the think one. so maybe yeah. something like that but like yeah. you couldn't just do anything it wasn't a creative menu if you hadn't found oak wood then you couldn't make oak stairs or oak yeah. things with the carpenter you had to find the block first and i, I like that mechanic because i think that it encourages exploration it encourages um the ability to then create with these new blocks without um the for me like i mean i don't like cutting down forests you know like i yeah. i plant trees and cut them down mostly because it's efficient but i also don't want to clear cut the land you know and i uh, when we find you know our, our mangrove forest on our mangrove swamp on the citadel we started cutting trees from the very back of it because we mm. didn't want to ruin the experience of <laughs> yeah. walking into it you know and i think that there's some sort of combination of like magic and uh, i guess conservation and exploration that you could probably do some cool stuff with in archaeology that doesn't all come back to uh like that classic jurassic park scene of like brushing stuff brushing stones away from, <laughs> from, yeah, a, yeah. from a velociraptor skeleton though but that that brings up a, a question that i have for you heather which is like when it comes to the fact that archaeology is something that's very you know dear near and dear to you and something you know a lot about but minecraft is a video game and yes. how realistic do you think they have to stick 
to keep it fun without having you all with your pickaxes in the air? <laughs> so, yeah, this is an interesting question because, because, as you say, it is a video game. And it's the same question when we get to things like other types of media, like film or TV shows or, or anything. Um, there's a degree to which you kind of have to have a little bit of leeway, at least, because archaeology can be very boring at times. <laughs> and and uh, nobody, you know, there's certain parts of archaeology that even archaeologists don't enjoy. We just kind of do it because, because it has to happen. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is... Um, there, there. You do need to err in favor of fun at a certain point. And the nice thing about Minecraft is that because it is a video game, and we do have mechanics for magic or you know different dimensions like the Nether and the End, there's scope of things not necessarily working the way that they do in reality. And uh, and actually, one of the biggest examples of this for archaeology is gravity. Um, gravity doesn't work the same in Minecraft as it does in real life, you know, for, for obvious reasons. Um, so it does for certain blocks like sand and gravel and such, but it, for most blocks, they're, they're just free floating or they can be free floating. And archaeology is kind of like practical archaeology is built on the notion that the things that are like, if you have two layers of dirt, the layer that's underneath the other layer happened first <laughs> because because you can't possibly have a layer on top of it if it didn't exist yet you know and there's you know with caves and things there's a, a little bit of nuance to all of that but generally speaking you know if you've got soil layer a and then soil layer b on top of soil layer a so soil layer a happened first in minecraft that's out the window like you don't have that, that this is a very basic law of archaeology in terms of understanding how things relate to each other, and we don't get that in Minecraft. And so that's a really interesting question that is more for probably archaeologists than than anything else to kind of break their brains a bit. But um, but yeah, I think when it comes to a game, and this connects to a little bit of the work that I've been doing on the Carved in Stone project. Um, which is a, a tabletop role-playing game. So it's not Minecraft at all. Tabletop role-playing setting guide um, set in the early medieval period in, in Scotland. And one of the things that we had to come to terms with very quickly is that in archaeology, we're very good at just kind of investigating what we can, saying what we can, and then saying, you know what, we don't know about that thing yet. So we're just going to leave it until we can figure out what to do with it, because we're not sure what to do with that thing yet. But if you're telling a story, or if you're creating a game, or you're trying to have some kind of coherence to whatever it is you're saying, you can't just leave big gaping holes in the middle of it in the way that academic disciplines can, because they're not necessarily, you know, they're not beholden to whatever story they're telling at the time, necessarily. Um, and so, so yeah, I think this is a very roundabout way of coming to some kind of an answer here. But one one thing that I've noticed is that archaeologists tend to be very forgiving so long as it's plausible, if that makes sense. So if if we're looking at something and uh, it just doesn't make any like any sense archaeologically, that's when the archaeologists get a little annoyed. But a lot of archaeologists really love video games. So if it's if it works within the world, then it doesn't need to be, 
you know, exactly accurate to archaeology and reality, because there's there's a degree to which the world is its own thing. The game world is its own thing. Um, so so it could be, you know, in light of my comments earlier of switching the, the brush to a trowel, it could be that actually in Minecraft, the brush is the thing that works um, or the brush is the thing that's used or something. And and Microsoft or Mojang could easily say, yeah, well, we're just going to dictate, you know, that that the brush is the tool. And in a sense, it's it's close enough that I don't think it would cause much ire from archaeologists, um, at, at least not archaeologists who play the game necessarily, because there's there is an element of you know, and similar to role playing games, where you know the the person, the GM or the game master who's running the game will just say that something is how it is, or like that it works in a certain way, and you just kind of accept that um, as as a mechanic. I think they could very easily do that in Minecraft as well, and just say, well. Archaeology works this way in reality, but actually in Minecraft, it works this way instead. Yeah, in, in Minecraft, where we have tools made out of diamonds that you've exactly. apparently, apparently kind of sculpted together with your hands, I guess. It's, yeah. yeah it, it, it makes sense that way. But um, what other features do you think Minecraft could implement that would be really of interest to archaeologists? Outside of the archaeology system, what are archaeologists looking for out of a game experience when they're given this enormous sandbox to play in? Oh, that is a really good question too. And I I think we've touched on a few of them already. Um, one of them being that kind of depth of uh, history and culture and time in a sense in, in the world. Um, and thinking about it, even just in relation to your your role on empires, Johnny, the there's a big part of me that almost wishes you had like a month or two on the server to just build stuff in creative if you wanted to, that could just be kind of set dressing in random places, um, which obviously isn't the same as the survival series, but it would allow there to be, you know, these sites across the landscape from the beginning that would make it seem like, you know, this is a world that has been lived in. And we get a little bit of that with with Ollie's storyline as well, which is really intriguing. Um, and then with all of the builds that you've been doing since, obviously, there's there's such depth to each of them. I think if we could get some of that that's in the pre-generated uh, world, that would be really, really cool. And, and like Joel was saying, having differences or variation in how decayed each of those structures necessarily are that would be really cool as well um and and again going back to that point of having these structures that don't inherently benefit the player not that they can't benefit the player just that they weren't created to benefit the player necessarily that they were created by people who are long long since gone who didn't have any real sense that whoever the player is would be around in this time period. So the, you know, the the role of the structure is kind of different to what the player might necessarily expect. Um, and then the other thing I would love, well, there are a couple of things I would love. <laughs> One is like a general kind of theme is more of these decay and oxidization and aging mechanics in Minecraft. I really mm. love that copper oxidizes and they nailed the color that it goes to. And I, I can't tell you how happy it makes me because I have dug up 
bronze objects that are that color. And it's it's wild to see when you dig it up, but it's it's really, really fun and really cool. And I like that they've worked that in. So now there's a part of me that's like, well, we have it for copper. Iron also oxidizes. Can we do it for iron? Can we please do it for iron? Can, <laughs> we, you, we've, can you do we've it had, for we've iron? We've had emails. We've had emails from people saying like, why not rust? Like implement yeah. rust yesterday. Like it just exactly. makes, makes a lot of sense and obviously doesn't really fit with the last 10 years worth of iron yeah. tools and whatnot mechanics that we've yeah. had in, in Minecraft. But considering that they only really introduced anything that was subject to a, a long form decay over time <laughs> that wasn't just like leaves and stuff they only implemented that in minecraft 1.17 like two exactly. updates ago like yeah. there's there's a possibility of it yeah what, what else for it what else do you think needs decay as a mechanic like aside from metallic objects is there anything else that you think could could really benefit from that um, well, I'm a glass specialist, so please, please, please age glass. That would be great. <laughs> um, so something that, and this came up on my stream the other week as well, is that glass, especially window glass, until the high medieval period was not actually clear. It was like a very light green or a very light blue or a very, very light yellow or even browns and such. Um, and the reason for that is because they had to, uh, when when they were melting the sand, there are other minerals in the sand that cause those colorations. So iron and copper are actually two materials that you can get almost any color of glass from, depending on how much you add and when you add it. So that's that could be another use for iron and copper, actually, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, if we're going into like long shot dream wishes of, <laughs> of things to change or add into Minecraft. Um, but because of those impurities, there's always a little bit of coloration to the glass. And oftentimes it's a greenish color or a greenish blue color. And so for window glass, in the until the high medieval period, it was definitely at least lightly colored. Once you get to the high medieval period, so about the 13th or 14th century-ish, um, they did figure out how to make perfectly clear glass, but it's actually not colorless glass and it's not necessarily clear um, they actually added manganese to it so the the glass that you would get is that kind of light green and then if you add manganese to glass in in even the tiniest amounts it will turn it purple or pink um, and it's like a really deep magenta-y color it's really really beautiful and if you add like an iota of mag manganese to naturally semi-green glass, the pink of the manganese cancels out the green to to human eyes. So it looks clear even though it's not. And over time, as I get to the end of this lengthy explanation, over time, <laughs> the glass in the window, the, the greenish color, because it reacts with sunlight, the manganese actually turns the glass pink or purple over time. So that's why when you go into older houses or older buildings, you'll see their window glasses like ranging from clear to like a deep purple. And it's it never was that way when the window was made. It's that because the window has sat in sunlight for so long, that's the color it is now. So if Minecraft could have a mechanic where clear glass just eventually ages into that, and there were ways, and I should say, I do want all these things to age, but I also like that copper, you can stop it aging by waxing it. And I think if, if Minecraft could add mechanisms for stopping the aging mechanic from happening, that would be the best way to do it because otherwise I think builders myself included would be really sad if our structures just started <laughs> decaying randomly mm -hmm. um i mean we get annoyed with endermen just for for moving a block out of place so 
but yeah, I, I would love glass to have that. I would love wood to, to darken over time um, or to need staining or, or waterproofing or something. There's, I think there's a lot of really interesting uh, ways to get into it. And even things like terracotta, if it's not glazed, then have it having a little bit different properties to glazed terracotta and such. So there's, there's a lot of cool stuff you could do with materials in Minecraft. Wow, there's so much. And this has been a fascinating conversation, but we are more or less out of time for this episode, <laughs> so I'm going to have to cut you off. But of course, thank you so much, Heather, for joining us on this week's show. And I'm sure if people are interested in hearing more about this, they would love to check out your work. So uh, take a moment to remind the folks at home uh, where they can find more of you and what you do. Sure. And just before I do that, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful to have this conversation. Um, as we mentioned earlier, I have a YouTube channel where I do lots of archaeology and Minecraft over at youtube.com slash archaeoplays. And if you're looking for even more Minecraft archaeology goodness in your life, because this somehow wasn't enough, I stream twice a week over on twitch.tv slash archaeoplays, and we have a lot of archaeology discussions there as well. I go by at archaeoplays online, and you can usually find me on Twitter, hyping up my fellow archaeologists. So if you if you want archaeology news in your day, Twitter is where it's at. And uh, and just a final plug for something that I mentioned do during this chat. Um, again, not Minecraft related, but something many of you might be interested in. I'm also the lead researcher for Carved in Stone, which is a system neutral setting guide for tabletop role playing games like Dungeons and Dragons except it focuses on life in the Pictish areas of Scotland during the late 7th century, so early medieval northeastern Scotland. So if you're curious about that project, it's available for pre-order on Kickstarter, and I believe the link is going to be in the, in the description down below. Yes, we will absolutely include a link to that in our show notes, along with all of the other links that we've mentioned and uh, the usual stuff from this week's newsread. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Spawn Chunks. As always, you can head over to thespawnchunks.com to get our show notes and links to all of the stuff we've talked about today. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks, where joining our community, pledging at any level, gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, and we usually record the show live in Discord when it's just me and Joel, so people can listen into the show as it's being recorded. We've also got a monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming up towards the end of September, and we're all very much looking forward to the Minecraft live broadcast so i'm sure there'll be a little bit of discussion about that as well we're currently at 341 patrons supporting us on patreon which is up six from last week so thank you to everybody who has just jumped on board and special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about the Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen to it. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in the Minecraft Survival Guide and Empire's SMP, both currently in their second season. I also stream on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything that I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, at thecitadelcafe.com. Had a great deal of fun talking with Johnny last week about Rings of Power, episodes one through three. So watch those before you listen to the show. We had a, a good, good discussion on that. And you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Minecraft Satisfactory, which has a new update coming out tomorrow and lego every friday i gave optimus prime knees and lower legs last week it was a good deal of fun <laughs> thank you so much for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite and it's worth digging up carefully <laughs>